Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Danny, what's up? Hey. So, So, first of all, the big question. It's Christmas time. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Uh, no. (laughs) No. It's not. No, it's not. (laughs) Not remotely. It's not a Christmas film. It's not a Christmas movie. Of course it is a Christmas film. Is Iron Man 3 a Christmas film? Classic, my favourite Christmas film. (laughs) You know, it's that Christmas, but... Iron Man 3, Three Wise Men. Case closed. (laughs) I mean, I just feel there's a lot of mileage to be gotten out of the Is It a Christmas Film discussion. The Empire Podcast did an entire podcast about this. Did they actually? Yeah. But I was bringing it up like as a joke because I feel like it's done to death. No, no, <laughs> an entire podcast. Okay, <laughs> but this is why we're better. Let's brush right past it. Let's brush past it onto something that's actually really exciting to talk about, which is who's going to host the fucking Oscars, mate, mate. Uh, who isn't a homophobe in Hollywood? <laughs> Kevin Hart, the well-known comedian and rising star was picked to host the Oscars and then for the first time someone checked his Twitter profile he had no followers and then someone followed him for the first time and read his tweets and it turns out he's posted a number of quite homophobic jokes and included them in his stand-up sets yeah hiding in plain sight (laughs) (laughs) yeah and they weren't they weren't especially like ambiguous I would say um it was all it was all shit like uh I hope my son isn't gay you know I wouldn't want a fag to make me a sandwich or I don't know things along those lines yeah not good uh, he posted quite a funny video on Instagram of him saying how he would not let his positive energy and vibes be disturbed by this. Said he was in love with the man he was becoming. He's in love with the man he was becoming. That sounds pretty gay to me. <laughs> <laughs> Does um, that mean he's not in love with himself now? But like, it's like that Matthew McConaughey thing. It's like, my hero yeah, is me a day, me. Like, exactly, like a week yeah. from now. So I'll always be disappointed. I've never been, a, not actually in love, but... You need something to chase, don't you? Yeah. Is that's the McConaughey philosophy that Hart has successfully adopted. They're both very successful men, so maybe that's what we should be thinking like. Yeah. Are you in love with a man you, you're becoming? You know what our best podcast is? The one we do after this. One. <laughs> it's always the next one. It's always the next that's one. That's my favourite episode we've ever recorded. Next week's one. Yeah. So who do you think would be good? Who would you like to see host it? Aside from us? No. I was, I was hoping you'd suggest that. <laughs> <laughs> I think we could bring a lot to the ceremony. Yeah, I think we could bring a lot. I mean, we got nothing to lose. I feel like a problem with all these Hollywood insiders that they got to schmooze with their friends, mm. they got to pull their punches. Mm. We don't know anywhere there. Take some we risks, could, you know. Yeah, we can call them all rapists or whatever. Well, like Ricky Gervais's thing was to kind of like insult people, wasn't it? He was just really, really insulting and mean. Yeah, I think we should do that, but I think in a way that more challenges the underlying structures. 
Yeah. And they wouldn't see it coming from people of our demographic, yeah, white cause, males. Because they wouldn't be jokes. It would just be like a, a small no lecture. Jokes. Yeah. I was, it, I was reading a piece today about a, um, a woman who uh, recently did like a, a, a stand-up special where she just announced at the beginning that she wasn't going to do any <laughs> comedy because she was too angry about like the treatment of uh, women in, you know, in like the Me Too stuff. False advertising, isn't it? Can you turn up for it? <laughs> she was like, "I'm quitting comedy because it's not it's not appropriate," and she just gave a kind of like lecture on or, on like sexism instead or something like that. I can't remember her name. She's called Hannah Hannah something. It's definitely not Gatsby. It's not Gadfly, but it's a Gat. It's something like that. And uh, but I think that that's what our hosting should be like. Right. Yeah. No jokes. No jokes. Absolutely deadly serious yeah. and brutal. Just <laughs> absolutely fucking brutal. Just it should just be like that film about Brian Singer. But about yeah. everyone in Hollywood, and instead of music to play people off, we just play statistics of sexual assault in the workplace, yes. just like booming out <laughs> <laughs> as uh, whoever is winning, as when Lady Gaga is accepting her award. Yeah. Like, she's very outspoken on the issue, so we wouldn't have to play her off in that regard. She'd probably talk about. I think it. no, no, we'd play her off with like I don't know some tri- triumph for music, with the Rocky theme or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but whenever like you know Casey Affleck came up, for example. We just pelt him with eggs and, um, you know... We just shine spotlights his... on the known attackers in the audience. Can we shine literal spotlights? Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. what I mean. Right, like, yes, exactly. So Good completely idea. dark apart from these highlighted... <laughs> <laughs> and then instead of getting... When, when In that bit, you know, Jimmy Kimmel likes to do where he just gets no- normal people in to kind of gawp at the celebrities. Yeah. But it's just normal people who all conduct citizens' arrests. Yeah. <laughs> everyone who's ever been accused of sexual harassment. Really, really drain just, the drain the swamp. Just be a fucking <laughs> bloodbath. Just a just an absolute battlefield. Yeah, it'd be impossible to do another one. <laughs> yeah. That would be the main goal of the evening. Main goal. It'd be, it'd be like John Stewart going Crossfire. It's yeah. just it's just a, it's just to destroy the entire institution. Exactly. Bring it all down. Salt salt the earth yeah. where, where where it was before, so nothing can grow again. That would be great. I mean, that would be awesome. Yeah. yeah, we should do that. Anyway, if, the Academy, if you're listening, and we know you are. <laughs> That's that's what that's our pitch. Hire us. Who else are you gonna hire? No one else wants the job. As far as I can see, we're your only option. It's just us. <laughs> it's just us. <laughs> the only people who have expressed an interest. Anyway, Danny. <laughs> um when we're not trying to destroy the Hollywood establishment <laughs> with our uh, killer hosting uh, pitch, uh, what are we doing on this podcast? Let me let me illuminate you on that subject. So Film Chat is a podcast all about an activist and filmmaker, Sam Foster. That's you who campaigns to end the celebration of the 4th of July. Sam holds pronounced anti-American views and argues that America's past and present are both offensive and therefore should not be celebrated. Correct. On the evening of July the 3rd, Sam watches a speech from President John F. Kennedy and mistakenly interprets the speech to mean that America should avoid war at any cost. President Kennedy rises out of the television set, corrects Sam regarding the intent of the speech and informs him that he will be visited by three more spirits. The following morning, Sam is visited by General George S. Patton, who shows him an alternate United States where slavery still exists because Abraham Lincoln, founder of the Republican Party, chose not to fight the Civil War. Sam is later visited by George Washington, who gives a passionate speech about God's gift of freedom and the price many people pay for others to have it. Sam is then visited by the Angel of Death, not a famous American <laughs> person in the past, who takes him to a future Los Angeles, completely taken over by radical Islamists. He is then wow. taken to the okay. <laughs> is then taken to the ruins of his hometown in Michigan, which has been destroyed by a nuclear bomb planted by Al Qaeda. 
In a mortuary, Sam learns that he will be killed in this attack, leaving nothing behind but his trademark hat and big ass. <laughs> is what I would be saying if this is a adaptation of the first two thirds of the not at all offensive but actually very brilliantly satirical film American Carol. This is in fact just a podcast where we talk about and review films. I'm Danny Moran, and joining me with his trademark hat and big ass, <laughs> Sam Foster. Hello, hello. This week we got takes coming your way, hot, cold and every possible temperature in between. One set of takes will be related to the film everyone is talking about, including us, the anarchic comedy Sorry to Bother You, uh, which makes every movie that vaguely hints that big business is bad or something look like a work of absolute cowardice. Another set of takes relates to the professional provocateur and navel-gazer Lars von Trier's latest, the serial killer drama The House That Jack Built. Um, I just want to reassure everyone listening that if Danny starts to give this film a positive review, I'm just going to cut him off. Not appropriate in today's climate, Danny. We cannot afford to lose any listeners. Okay, I just want that to be the forefront of your mind when you're giving your honest opinion about this film. We'll also be discussing a dismal set of Golden Globe nominations and making ourselves look good by trashing some film critics who just got fired. All that should leave just enough time for me to announce my latest film, a wacky but excoriating defense of capitalism called Sorry the Market Cured Polio, in which a young man gets an office job which is great because he can then pay his bills. Financial stability. When other workers try to unionize, he persuades them not to because it would be bad for the relationships between the staff and the management. And as a result, everyone in the office has good moods. Everyone works really well together and it's just got a good good team vibe. Pretty soon, the young man gets a promotion. Brilliant. More pay. And he uses the extra money to buy a nice car and house. That makes him happy. <laughs> great. At the end, he finds out that the company he works for has a secret scheme to make all their employees extra productive. That's exciting. That's just as good for the economy. And it just works well for all concerns. Nothing bad happens in the film. <laughs> also, polio's cured or something. What do you think of that idea? I think it's brilliant. Thanks. Appreciate it. Appreciate the good feedback. <laughs> I have no nothing to add. It's a perfect idea. Thank you. Thank you. social media roundup now i spent the week on the film chat account arguing about the labor party's prospects with empire's <laughs> helen o'hara i think i think i brought around cool didn't i don't think it got us any new listeners to our film podcast but you know we had it out <laughs> but you felt pretty good <laughs> i felt pretty good about it got to give her my views and she must have listened to them because she was replying so that was pretty satisfying Whereas uh, you've been engaging on a more film-related uh, topic, which is, you know, appropriate, I think. Um, you posted the following poll. Is love actually good? With the two options, yes and nah, mate. And? This poll got excellent engagement. 15 votes. The results are as follows. 33% yes, 
67% Narmate. It's official. It's not good. It's not good. The reason I put this poll up is that, well, first of all, Love Actually is 15 years old. And as such, there's a few think pieces have come out because uh, you can't, there's nothing going on in the world. So you've got to talk yeah. about Love Actually. Yeah. And I've never been a big fan of the film, but there's a great, unfortunately, said by Louis C.K., that sexual assault. But he <laughs> made this point where like everything, eventually stuff is just on. Films are very exciting and the most exciting thing in the world when they're being made and the build up to the release and when you first see them for the first few times and then eventually they just become something that's on. And I think that's very true of Christmas movies in that whatever critical reaction they initially got just fades away and they just become perennial things. Yeah, and I mean, it's interesting to see which ones do. I'm, yeah. I'm, you know, Elf is quite interesting in that way because... It's like a freestyle movie at well, best. When it came I... out, it was, I don't remember there being any huge fuss made about it, but it just became one of the films that's like people still talk about. Yeah, it's one of the Prince Charles right now, I imagine. Yeah. Like, you know, Crowed Along Elf. The Holiday is another one like that, which yeah. just looks like the most generic shit ever but it's like people <laughs> must see something in it because people talk about it and so on a lot and i feel like love actually is the ultimate version of that because that is uh, genuinely a movie that had a bit of critical pushback but just faded away and the critic a.o scott from the new york times retweeted his um review from the time and he point made all these very i can see why he's a professional film critic made a lot of variants he really got it on the first viewing uh about why the movie's bad one of the things he pointed out, which is very obvious, is the fact that there are three middle-aged men who end up with their secretaries or women who work for them, young women, like the Colin Firth character, the Alan Rickman character, and Hugh Grant. It's the same story three times. Yeah. Whereas any middle-aged woman is like Emma Thompson and Laura Linney are just destined for a life of like misery and have to like make do what they can get. They've got like domestic responsibilities and no romance. Yeah, exactly. And it's all, obviously, it's all told from the perspective of a very white, straight uh you know, perspective, but it's about the universality of love. Do you reckon yeah. Richard Curtis has cheated on his wife with one of his employees? Yeah. With like his personal assistant or something. He's hiding in plain sight. <laughs> hiding in plain sight. They're all doing it. He's like, I know he made a storyline about it. I made three separate storylines about He's it. He's trying to tell us something. Yeah. I think that's quite clear. Yeah. Yeah, looking back on it now, it is notable for quite how undiverse it is. It feels like these days, if you're making a film about the universality of love, in which like the final bit of it is this kind of um, montage of like people hugging of all different you know yeah. stripes and stuff about how love is everywhere or whatever, and yeah, all of the romances are incredibly similar. I mean, not just like they're all like heterosexual and all between white people, but that also like boss secretary romances. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. Like, Running theme. The it dynamics. does sound extraordinarily un um, unadventurous and unimaginative. Yeah, I mean, I would say it's bad. It's yeah. pretty. It's pretty shit, isn't it? I would say. I yeah. mean, I don't. Yeah, I don't know if it has a, that many sort of redeeming features. I think it's a pretty pretty terrible movie. Bill Nye's good. Yeah. That plot line's good. It's just kind of like, I mean, when they did the uh, the comic relief uh, sequel to it, which was dreadful, <laughs> <laughs> I think it felt like the whole setup for it is more b- belongs in the comic relief world anyway. You know, like a yeah. bunch of celebrities, really, really familiar faces. And a lot of the appeal is just like these movie stars, they're all wearing like nice jumpers and uh, just sort of hanging out and smiling. And it's just this sort of warm... You know, it's a bit cozy like, movie. It's a cozy movie. It's like Mamma Mia in a way, you know? Yeah. Loads of familiar faces. They're all very relaxed, you know? They're not really exercising themselves. There's no prosthetics. They're all doing their own accents. They're just chilling out. Yeah. Um, I do think the movie's success is like a testament to the cast in a way. Because the material is quite ropey. Yeah. But just yeah. the natural charisma of all the performers just well, you carries wanna, it. You, you like to watch them, don't you? You like to see Liam Neeson there just hanging out. Colin Firth, he's sort of bumbling around. Yeah, Rowan Atkinson, Rowan Atkinson. up that present for ages. 
yeah. there's not really any jokes there but it's just like it's just bloody national treasures aren't they all of them yeah sort of uh wandering about the screen just look, looking like they're having a nice enough time so but we conclusively say it's not a good movie now it's been it's official well we we've checked we did a poll yeah and i think our our listeners are pretty much representative of the global population so i think we can safely say that that is that does you know that's it that's it that the book the book is now closed on that one sorry sorry, sorry richard sorry richard sorry hey, good luck with your the weird beatles film you're making good oh luck. yeah good luck mate good yeah. luck mate yeah good luck <laughs> Superhero films announced, casting rumours leaking out M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated, Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated Meryl Streep's Oscar tips, Matt Damon's in a viral vid Michael Bay's made a mint, that's the news that's fit to print So it's officially the start of awards season mm-hmm. There's been a number of smaller kind of critic circle awards The New York Critic Circle had done one recently And so the LA um, Critic Circle the LA Critics Circle, I believe that's what they're called, the Circle of Critics who work in the LA area. <laughs> and uh, there was the British Independent Film Awards recently. But nobody cares about these esteemed professional film critics. Who are the film critics we care about? The Hollywood Foreign Press. Yes. Very important people. Very important. They decide who wins the Golden Globes, and the Golden Globes decide who wins the Oscars. And the Oscars is the most important thing that's ever happened <laughs> until we destroy it this year. Um, so the Golden Globe nominations came out, and they are very disappointing. The best film, drama, because it's split into drama and comedy and musical, just so they can have more celebrities there. So the drama film category was Black Panther, Black Klansman, Bohemian Rhapsody, If Bill Street Could Talk, and A Star Is Born. And the best directors were Bradley Cooper, Alfonso Cuaron, Peter Farrelly, Spike Lee, and Adam McKay. And the sort of news stories are that the movie Vice got the most nominations with six. This Adam McKay movie about Dick Cheney, Christian... Bale doing another one of his transformative, crazy performances. He's put on weight, he's put on prosthetics, he's doing a lot of acting. He looks a little bit like Dick Cheney in uh, that David O. Russell movie. Uh, American, American Hustle. Hustle. Yeah, yeah, I feel like that's probably it. You know, just sort of squinted, and like, yeah. If he just lost more hair and got fatter, perfect. Perfect. Um, but like Roma wasn't included in the best film category, uh, category and uh, Green Book has got a lot of awards love despite being quite middling. And it feels a bit like... On one hand, it feels like the award ceremony from five years ago, like a lot of safe bets, and at the same time, trying to be modern by including movies like Black Panther and Black Klansman. Yeah, I guess the inclusion of Black Panther is quite notable. It's unusual to have a Marvel blockbuster in there, in that conversation. But it's weird that Bohemian Rhapsody has made it in there, despite getting sort of universally kind of middling terrible to reviews. terrible reviews. Yeah. And the fact they put A Star is Born in as a drama, not as musical or comedy. That is quite funny, actually, isn't it? I mean, it is a musical. If yeah. that's not a musical, what the fuck? <laughs> uh, how, how, how is that not a musical? But it feels like quite a canny bit from the publicist team because you think, oh, by if they went into the musical and comedy, they would sweep it. Yeah. But I feel like the drama category is quite weak, so they could just win for that and then get the, you know, the momentum, the precious momentum going. Yeah, rather than be Oscars. siloed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. The sort of politics of what goes into musical or comedy and what goes into drama is... Um, a good argument for abolishing that distinction because yeah. it's just very irritating it always seems ridiculous i mean it's also a notable list just because of there's like a lot of different movies in it it feels like there is no real consensus about what the top movies are this year i mean the fact that they've included bohemian rhapsody which wasn't a, even a particularly well-liked movie but just seems like the sort of film that might have a woods buzz around it you know about yeah. like a beloved deceased person who's like you know being portrayed in a, in a relatively acclaimed way by an act familiar face 
and uh yeah it is it's just it's it's an odd it's an odd list i mean i guess it's um there are three black movies in best drama that's good that's good even though ryan coogler didn't get a best director nomination and like barry jenkins didn't get one crazy that is ridiculous because bill street could talk is brilliant and it's incredibly well directed very odd what's going on but i think so i think a star is born's gonna walk it do you think so i think that's got the most buzz it's certainly Lady... the most oscary and also critically acclaimed film that's around at the moment there's no like there's no real narratives i would say at the moment it's not like a sort of la la land moonlight thing yeah or there's one movie that's gonna i feel like rome has got the most love but for, it's just in the best foreign language category for some reason in the yeah. golden globes and people are thinking oh because you know oscars have had foreign movies in in the main category in the main category before they just they're so good they can just escape the subtitles into the real <laughs> film category so it just seems a bit underwhelming. It, I guess say so the the narrative around A Star Is Born of it being like this announcing of a major new talent in in the form of a you know sort of mainstream handsome actor who's like wow he's a director now he can do that yeah um that you know maybe that will be enough to uh, to sweep it and they just love movies about like entertainment where entertainment is you know glorified and uh, absolutely and saves lives or whatever um yeah it's just, i guess it's just an odd an odd year in um the, the whole awards world like things are not things are not leaping out there are no easy narratives to get behind so now they're back to like oh we have to pick films that are good but they just don't know how to do they that. don't know how to do <laughs> so... that that's impossible <laughs> <laughs> here's the narrative barry jenkins followed up his previous really good film with another really good film isn't this but... this is the the definitive like nail in the coffin of like what was better La La Land or Moonlight it's like well they both made another movie one of them sung without a trace and one of them is the best film I've seen recently that's so. true First Man did look like the sort of film that would definitely be in the Oscar <laughs> conversation and isn't whereas Bill Street could talk he went the distance you know exactly Jenkins Jenkins absolutely but these are important these awards I don't want you to think that just because if you blew up our solar system alone, you wouldn't be able to find us or any of human history with the naked eye. But from our perspective, this is huge. So on our last episode, we briefly touched upon New York's magazine's film critic, David Edelstein. However you pronounce his name, there's a lot of options. Edelstein, Edelstein, Edelstein whatever whatever we don't need to know who he is anymore <laughs> he's just been uh, let go by npr for whom he worked in his capacity as a film critic for a radio show called fresh air uh and it was as a result of a tasteless gag that he made a lot of people making tasteless jokes and it's causing them trouble yeah i feel like the most recent i mean well, was obviously kevin hart yeah prior to that william sitwell the editor of the waitrose food magazine not in the film world <laughs> Uh, but made some joke about killing vegans in response to a pitch from someone for like a vegan recipe for his magazine. That caused some uh, trouble for him for obvious reasons. And uh, now David Edelstein posted on his Facebook page after the death of filmmaker Bernardo Bertolucci, who uh, prior to dying was um, previously made headlines because um, because the star of his most famous film, Last Tango in Paris, Maria Schneider, had uh, said that she was like semi-sexually assaulted by Marlon Brando on the movie in a sex scene which was like sprung on her and which she did not especially uh, 
you know, like or, or consent to. Yeah, he's very sort of brazen about how, like, he and Marla... They sort Marla of cooked it up between up them, and yeah. And didn't tell the actress because he wanted to get that real... real surprise of being raped on camera. Yeah, just <laughs> awful, just, yeah. awful. She said she felt, like, quite a little raped by it, so um, really terrible. And in the scene in question, Brando uses butter as a lubricant, quite famously. And uh, Edelstein posted to his Facebook page a photo from this scene after Bertolucci had died with the caption, even grief is better with butter. Absolutely weird and horrible thing to say. Not quite sure. What is he trying to say? As a joke, it doesn't really make any sense. Kind of professional writer. Yeah, and so he was let go by NPR as a result of that, although he still is a film critic for New York Magazine. This kind of came on the back of a number of things uh, that people have criticized Edelstein for. In uh, addition to what we discussed last episode, in which he described Robert Downey Jr.'s character in Tropic Thunder as a, quote, damn fine Negro, he's also come under criticism for his recent review of the movie Green Book. Green Book? Green Green Book. Book. (laughs) It's in Green Book. Green Book. Um, With Viggo Mortensen and Mahershala Ali, um, a kind of race relations drama set in the 1960s and in his review of the movie he he said that he was nostalgic for a time in which race seemed so much simpler and they were um it was about it was all going to be legislated um away you know by civil rights legislation and stuff so he got a lot of criticism for saying he was nostalgic for racism a previous kind (laughs) of type of like racist era and he was also widely criticized for his review of wonder woman which is embarrassingly horny describes <laughs> Gal Gadot as the perfect blend of super babe in the woods innocence and mouthiness um uh, just basically he spends like most cool. of the review to cool. yeah he's just yeah. R- rubbing his thighs like pretty much the entire time um he wrote the article with one hand yes he absolutely <laughs> did it says with a female director at the helm Diana isn't even photographed to elicit slobbers yeah, um, she managed <laughs> because she, I was slobbering from frame one. Yeah, five stars. David Elstein. She looks fabulous in her suffragette outfit with little specks, but it's not until she strips down to her superheroine bodice and shorts, <laughs> uh, pulls yeah. out the sword, oh, uh, oh, yeah. and leaps into the fray. Oh, she great. comes into her own. Yeah, she does. More focused on world peace than bombs and bullets, oh. she's on an ecstatic plane of her own. Nice. Wow. So can't believe he got fired. Hot for Godot. Um What kind of world are we living in when your man can't just perv over some woman and a as, this, <laughs> as the full as the <laughs> entirety of his critical review of and the film talk about how he wished he was more racist, <laughs> made some jokes about raping somebody, and he gets fired. He gets fired What's gone Very wrong? Cruel. Well, it is reminiscent. Can't of wait this, for of Jonathan uh, Pye's video about this. Uh, the William Sitwell thing in a way uh, in that it was like a deeply tasteless remark which I think to most people is clearly indicative of broad attitudes uh, but is like taken by his defenders to be like you make one sip up on social media these days and you know they come down like a ton of bricks but it's clearly um, a pattern of behavior which people then like immediately dig out all these other examples (laughs) of I've got a little tribute to David Edelstein which I'd I'd like to perform for you now please Edelstein Edelstein, NPR has just fired you. Being white was your crime. For today's SJWs, Stalinist thought police shut you down. Jokes are banned forever. 
R.I.P. Free speech. At least you're still at New York Magazine. Thank you. Beautiful. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And now for Danny to review a film he recently saw. Was it staggeringly brilliant? Was it all-scrunchingly poor? Out of Danny for the judgment, we're about to hear his thoughts. If he does a rubbish job, then Sam will tell him off. The house that Jack built, Enfant Tarib turned old man Tarib, agent provocateur, crazy Danish wunderkind. Lars von Trier is back. The plot, such as it is, is about a serial killer called Jack, played by Matt Dillon, uh, and he recounts five randomly selected of his many killings to a mysterious figure who you're not quite sure what he is at the start of the movie. You just hear his voice. Is he a psychologist? Is he a doctor? Is he his own conscience? By a guy called Verges, played by Bruno Ganz, famous German actor. Probably Hitler, most Hitler man. Hitler from Downfall, but a number of esteemed films, Wings of Desire, American Friends, Nosferatu. Hitler, though. Hitler, Ma- though. Mainly yeah. Hitler. Mainly Hitler. Um, and Jack views each of his killings, which he refers to as incidents, as towering artistic achievements. And here is a clip uh, from the first incident where Uma Thurman plays a obnoxious woman who gets Jack to drive her to a workshop, ironically, to fix a jack, so she can fix her car. Oops. That was a mistake. Mistake? Me, getting in this car with you. What was it one's mother used to say about not getting into cars with strangers? Well, I wouldn't know what your mother said. You might as well be a serial killer. I'm sorry, but you do kind of look like one. Like me to drive you back to your car? No, no. I'll take care of myself. I'm sorry. Were you offended that I called you a serial killer? No. It's of absolutely no importance to me. So, this movie has come with a lot of baggage. I really enjoyed it. Does that make me a pervert? I don't know, quite frankly. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Let, let, let's let, answer that let's, question. Let's try and let's try, let's, let's try and deep, find out deep dive. So Lars von Trier, post the boss of it all, has been making movies that are increasingly apocalyptic and feel like they could be the last film he ever makes. Every new film feels like a sort of summation of his career, and this one is somehow more so. He keeps on escalating in a way which I think is very impressive, and it's basically I think best described as an exploration of the creative process told through the genre of a serial killer movie. And it's like a more streamlined, nastier version of Nymphomaniac, uh, where Nymphomaniac was, if you've seen that movie about Charlotte Gainsbourg, who was a Nymphomaniac, but she was basically an avatar for Lars von Trier, and all his foibles were represented by sex. You could substitute having a sex addiction for being a provocateur, and she couldn't stop doing the thing, and it was made her miserable, but she couldn't stop doing it. And Lars von Trier has all these addictions, his addictive personality. 
and it was basically about him but with you know tits and stuff yeah and this movie instead of sex scenes it's brutal murders and it's very him in that his films are often accused of being sadistic and misogynistic so he decides to represent his filmography as a series of sadistic uh, misogynistic killings uh, it kind of takes the sort of approach of nymphomaniac to its logical extreme and it's a very funny shocking extremely pretentious supremely arrogant film but also <laughs> like like full of self-loathing and i thought it was kind of brilliant i really really enjoyed it enjoy might be the wrong word but i was constantly it was it's very different it's very unlike any other movie apart from the previous love and true film and all his films are about him but I struggle to think of a film that is so directly and uncompromisingly about somebody working through their own shit. And it's not always pleasant, this process. And you could argue that that's a very indulgent thing to do, because it is. But uh, it's never less than compelling. And basically, if you like the idea of a Lars von Trier serial killer movie, you'll enjoy the film. And if you think that's going to be unbearable, it will be. I think one of the things Lars von Trier is bringing at is he gets kind of uniformly great performances from actors. Charlotte Booth aside, we'll ignore that. And Matt Dillon gives an incredible performance in this movie. He's like sort of half the reason to go see it. There's a very chewy role in that he's a self-confessed psychopath who can pretend to be a normal person. You know, it takes a certain amount of balls to take on the role and he's really sort of relishing it. And one of the most enjoyable things about the movie is that it kind of is a riposte to the kind of post-Hannibal Lecter idea of a serial killer where there are all these kind of urbane people with wine collections who read lots of books but jack is like a total idiot he like has all these lofty ideas and can sort of reference stuff and has all these like quasi philosophical ideas about his murders being art but the movie is definitely viewing him with like absolute contempt and this kind of like um sort of joke of the main character is typified in the second incident which plays out as this brilliantly constructive farce which where things escalate in a very surprising but organic way and it is, I think, the funniest thing I've seen all year, which I wasn't expecting from Lars von Trier's serial killer movie. Uh, a lot of lols. <laughs> but I think what's more impressive is how it kind of definitely switches between this kind of black comedy and just, like, absolute nihilism. Because it's such a sort of self-indulgent premise. One of the things that actually makes it good is the fact that it's very aware of what it's doing and kind of has a lot of... There's an edge of irony to everything. At the same time, it manages to switch to a mode where it's like very sincere. There's a sequence with Riley Keough, which is the one I think most critics decide is the most unpleasant, which kind of directly addresses misogyny, both in relationship to his own career and in general. And his conclusions are pretty uncompromising and nihilistic and brutally honest. And you might think, I mean, your mileage on this might vary because it's like, I mean, accused of misogynist, so I made a movie where I call myself a piece of shit. I mean, does that really mean anything? It's quite a typical manoeuvre in a way, isn't it? I mean, yeah. that's like the the premise of Louis C.K.'s comedy, for example. Yeah, but I think he like doesn't... I mean, the whole movie is like steeped in hatred of himself. I don't know if that makes it better. Like, you have still made a film about it. Yeah. So, I don't know. I really don't have an answer for that. I only saw it yesterday. There's a lot, <laughs> there's a lot to unpack. It's a very dense film. And there are points where the movie kind of shook me off. Like, um, Nymphomaniac has the structure of, like, basically Lars von Trier talking to himself. Yeah. Two characters. And um, a lot of the murders are interspersed with Jack's, like, half-baked uh, philosophy, which are often, like, illustrated with, like, animation and archive material. But this is all undercut by Bruno Ganz, who's constantly calling bullshit on what he's saying. 
And I, w- I wasn't like bored by these bits, but they did feel like tangents. And I did like almost lose patience with the movie. But then kind of sucking me back in with like some brilliant joke or like really weirdly constructed dramatic conceit. It's a very inventive film. And I think what's kind of fascinating about Lars von Trier is that he is like a really good director. Like I feel like if you just gave him a normal script, he'd be really good at it. But he's always kind of like searching. I don't know. He can't get out of the way of his own ego. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, and it sort of just builds and builds to a totally, completely like balls out finale. And one of the things I find satisfying about those movies is they sort of take ideas to the logical extreme and then like a bit further in a way which is uh, just thrilling to watch. And by the end, I was like totally won over by the movie. All my misgivings were like in the final like half an hour. I was like, this is the best film I've seen ever. <laughs> um, so... Yeah, I don't. I, I can honestly say, like, it's unlike any movie I've seen recently, and it's there's a lot to unpack, and I haven't unpacked all of it. And I read all these reviews of people who hated it, and I found myself like agreeing with everything they said. And then I, you know, read all these reviews of people who loved it, and I was like, well, that's also true. But do you think, like, directly, but like, do you think that the movie, by concentrating on his own psyche so monomaniacally, does it give you a, a, a sense of his actual views towards women? I mean, do you, is it all just a kind of like, just like thing for him to play with, like a kind of game, or do you sense get a sense from the film like what you know whether he actually does have a negative view of women, basically? Well, the sort of section that sort of addresses that most clearly, like, is seems like quite regretful. I would say. I mean, it's 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 just a question of how sincere you think he's being, mm. but I think his thing about misogyny has like not to go into spoilers, but it's like. Um, actually, how do I say as well? Going into spoilers, but he sort of like addresses it like directly through the character, and then sort of opens it up to like the entire world, which is obviously a very last one trip thing to do. Like, you yeah, know, it's not yeah. just me; it's the entire fucking world. And he's has like it's a I don't know. The movie is incredibly nihilistic. Um, am I answering your question here? Sorry, I've gone on above. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I just mean that if you do, you feel like the movie tells you whether he's a sexist or not. No, I think he's. I don't think he is. Right. That would be my conclusion. I don't know. I think I believe Bjork, uh, and I guess if you to behave that way, you have to be. Yeah. But I don't know. I feel like before this Bjork things, I was heavily he's not a sexist. I think he just like hates himself, but casts women in the roles of him. Every main character in the Lars von Trier movie is basically him. Yeah. A lot of them are played by women, but part of it is like the idea of seeing a woman in pain is i feel like he kind of played with the idea of misogyny like antichrist is sort of about misogyny and so is this i'm not smart enough to deal with this movie <laughs> there's a lot there's a lot going on but i found just the experience of trying to unpack it while watching it and also subsequently rewarding rewarding yeah so go see it or don't i would say it's probably not entry level laws if you've never seen a Lars von Trier movie you might be a bit nonplussed by it um as well as appalled. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible reaction to have. Bemused and you'll horrified. Be, <laughs> you'll be just sitting, yeah, non-blast and throwing up. Sam and Danny both watched a film and they decided to record a few opinions on the things they saw. You're gonna hear them in a moment or so. There could be angry disagreements, but their views are normally quite close. A joint review shared between two podcast brothers. Do they let one another speak or do they interrupt each other? The light is on, the guys are in, so let the chat begin. Start the 
sorry to bother you is the directorial debut of musician and rapper Boots Riley and uh, came out earlier this year in the US and then managed to get international distribution and has finally arrived on our shores. You saw it earlier at London Film Festival. I did. And I saw it this week. It got a lot of great buzz and I was really glad to see it get a release over here. Apparently, like, it was struggling to get distribution, but I don't understand why. It's full of famous people and it is an absolute blast. So... Lakeith Stanfield plays the main character called Cassius Green or Cash Green and he uh, needs money at the beginning of the movie and ends up getting a job for a telemarketing company called Regal Vu where he has to make phone calls and he struggles to do so at first until he is advised by uh, Danny Glover's character to adopt a white voice uh, in order to become a better salesman. Here is a clip of that conversation happening. Hey young blood, let me give you a tip. Use your white voice. Man, I ain't got no white voice. Oh, come on, you know what I mean. You have a white voice in there, you can use it. It's like when you pull over by the police. Oh, no, I just use my regular voice when that happens. I just say, back the fuck up off the car and don't nobody get out. All right, man, I'm just trying to give you some game. You want to make some money here? Then read the script with a white voice. People say I talk with a white voice anyway, so why ain't it helping me out? Well, you don't talk white enough. I'm not talking about Will Smith's wife. I'm talking about the real deal. Like this young blood. Hey, Mr. Kramer. This is Langston from Regal View. I didn't catch you at the wrong time, did I? Uh, subsequent to this, he finds that his uh, white voice is highly successful, um, and he ends up being promoted to become a power caller, uh, where he works on a different floor and has a different and more um, exciting job where he has to like use his white voice all the time. Um, he comes into contact with Army Hammer's character, Steve Lift, who's like a kind of tech bro, uh, CEO type. And yeah, I don't know. There's a lot going on in the film. I guess like the less you know about it, the better perhaps going in. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of been, it's been marketed as this like anarchic, crazy, um, exciting film that will kind of get people talking, goes to really surprising places. Boots Riley himself constantly retweets people who've seen the film about like how it blew their minds and how... They, you know, they didn't know where it was going to go. Like some crazy shit happens they weren't expecting. And I just feel like that is true. That is basically what the experience watching yeah. uh, the movie is like. And it is a, a staunchly anti-capitalist film in a way that's very refreshing. I mean, there's like, that I think it's not just that it's this like uh, revolutionary movie or that it's really sort of, you know, against the system or that it's making these really like right on arguments. But I think that it's it's just very politically smart and that he's got a very specific critique of both racism and economic injustice and how they intertwine. And the film just expresses that in this really direct way that's very easily comprehensible, uh, but is politically quite sophisticated. And at the same time is so much fun to watch. And he's got this spirit, this sort of filmmaking spirit of like, you know, this is a movie, I'm in charge of it, and therefore anything can happen. (laughs) We're in a film world, I can do whatever the fuck I want. And so, like, just these weird little touches happen throughout the film, these little flourishes, which are very inventive and fun and just uh, kind of keep you engaged and stylistically make sense because we are in a satire and it is not it's not in like the the current world but it's in this like slightly dystopian tweaked version of yeah. the contemporary world which enables him to basically do all of this stuff so you know bits of it are kind of like dream sequences or there's these odds little little moments i mean when he's doing his telemarketing for example the film kind of 
physically puts him inside the room of the person that he's talking to while he's disturbing them so i i can't really imagine like being bored watching it basically no um but rather than just seeming like a playful like throw everything at the wall and see what it sticks you get such a strong sense of purpose from it because of the politics that underlies the movie it's a great depiction of trade unionism <laughs> in, a, in an almost kind of abc's here's how it works kids type way where yeah. the the people who work at his telemarketing company whether the sort of unionist ringleader is um steven ewan yeah you want how you pronounce that guy's name uh the american K- korean actor who's in the walking dead and is also in one of the year's best films the korean thriller burning which he's excellent. Recommend that one. Little Great. side recommendation for you there. Great scene where he yawns. Very great good. scene where he mm-hmm. yawns. Check out that gif of him yawning from the movie Burning on Twitter.com. <laughs> it's very good. Um, and uh, uh, and they, yeah, so they, 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 they band together uh, to fight for better treatment by their bosses. Um, and you can just sort of see how that works and why that's a good thing. It's very nice to see. And I think it's also a... Um, I mean, a, 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 probably the lazy comparison is to get out which came out last year. But I do think there is something to be said about how both movies via these uh, sort of mainstream and entertaining means put their fingers on something very specific about the operation of uh, race in contemporary society. And this movie is basically about, it sort of directly ties racism uh, to capitalism. Uh, And in that Danny Glover clip, where he's talking to him about the white voice, he specifically says that it's not a just impression of a white person but it's what like a white guy wishes that he was or it's some kind of perfect version of whiteness which you're adopting that like all the things that are associated with material comfort not having to worry about your wealth like not having to worry about going to prison and just being this sort of supremely confident and relaxed person which is not like the experience of every white person but it's like something which is associated with the structural privileges that whiteness offers you yeah and i think that that's a um, really good way of understanding privilege and discrimination you know you you don't like acquire the privilege of being white just by like doing an impression of a white person but rather inhabiting all of the things which represent whiteness in society so that was really nice and it's full of it's just full of things like that yeah it's got a it's got a really strong and well thought through critique and turns it into a super entertaining film and what more could you ask for? what more yeah i liked how um feels very fresh because it's, there's nothing arch about it. There's nothing kind of referential. I feel like the most recent satire I watched was Assassination Nation. And there was like specifically this sort of like Instagram is like this or whatever. But I feel like it's just its targets are more are bigger and more focused. And it doesn't feel the need to reference like specific pop culture in a way which is a bit tiresome in a way like normal like satires go yeah. a little bit. And yeah, just like sort of joke for joke, it was hilarious. Not yeah. as funny as the murdering scenes from <laughs> The House That Jack Built. But uh, yeah, just like a constant stream of like, I know it's stupid to remove the politics from it, but like just on a, uh, you know, laugh for laugh kind of way. It yeah, was yeah. Constantly... Actually, that was something that surprised me about it was quite how funny it was. Like not all of the jokes do come through um, politics necessary. Some of it is just like, you know, silliness. Yeah. And, and I, I laughed constantly. I thought um, Lakeith Stanford was great. He's a very like weird guy. I went down a YouTube rabbit hole of like watching interviews with him, and he's basically just like the guy from Atlanta, and also the guy from Sorry to Bother You. It's kind of low key weird charisma, but it kind of like works because when the movie gets stranger and stranger, he kind of anchors it all. It's not like he takes everything in his stride, but also reacts normally. 
Yeah, I don't yeah. know. It's a very w- weird uh, tightrope he's walking. I feel like he does have like a particular energy to him that's quite unusual. I think. Yeah, and uh, Army Hammer is the sort of evil white multicorp guy. I read a review where he says like he plays him like almost a bit too well. <laughs> like, <laughs> like Army Hammer is famously like the sort of grandson of like a oligarch and he's always trying to like distance himself from his incredibly wealthy background but he's so good at playing rich white assholes that like i think you should just stick to that like you know yeah that's the well, social network his life is the embodiment of white privilege yeah and uh you know so that's why he's good at playing characters that are as well yeah when he turned up he was it kind of had a real jolt of energy because he's a little coked up villain um yeah i do think occasionally it's a little rough around the edges in that some scenes just sort of like end you know they sort of fade mm. out and like the you know the joins but it's so as you say it's so articulate in its message that you kind of forgive and these ladies i mean really i'm really quibbling here and i would say when it does get weirder the reason it works i'm just repeating what you're saying which yeah. is what the film does in a way in that the weirdness it basically just like it's the, the movie's almost in two halves and like when it gets weirder it's the same story but just more blunt yeah. And the movie just gets like focuses down. It's like, if, in case you weren't paying attention. And like, I feel like if the movie is another half an hour, there'll be like an extra level of weirdness. Just, and you know, the level of that is Boots Ray literally is coming around your house and just yelling at you until you understand the film. Yeah. That's I mean, why it doesn't shake you off because it's basically the same story. Like, it kind of re- reinforces itself. Reinforces itself. Well, That's the one. I. I mean, I, I was reading this uh, piece earlier today by um, Nathan Robinson, who's the uh, editor of this website called Current Affairs. He's very good. Recommend going and reading his review of um, Sorry to Bother You if you've seen the movie, as it's very spoiler heavy. But I think he made this really good point in the film about, like, I mean, one of the things that the movie posits as a sort of near future or alternate world, like more dystopian edge on reality, is this thing called uh, Worry Free Corporation which is a kind of like voluntary prison almost. It's like yeah. this thing where you are housed and fed and you have total economic security, but you just have to work for them and you don't leave. Yeah. Uh, so you just sort of live in there. Um, and it's obviously like quite terrifying. It's basically indentured servitude and, and like in the movie, people are calling it modern slavery and stuff like that. But the point that Nathan Robinson made in his piece is that this is only shocking because it's in America, whereas like things like this exist and worse currently yeah yeah <laughs> under current systems um like uh migrant workers in dubai for example who who uh, come over like they get passports to come over but then they have to work off the debt that was incurred to get their passports in the first place which means that they're basically like trapped um and you know they, they, yeah. they're they're indentured um, servants and like via this the film is is also this sort of lesson in the the dangers and limits of having this attitude of pure economic rationality where you make judgments about what's best based solely on questions of like efficiency and productivity um without thinking about like human values which sounds like terribly obvious you know that you should take those things into consideration Uh, but it's very easy for people to to not do that and an example cited by uh, robinson is the uh, ceo of gorka who is proposing solving the homelessness problem in uh, san francisco or, or los angeles and basically he was saying that the property values in those areas is so high that like that is why there's not enough housing like for everybody and that's why you have this homelessness problem whereas like in rural areas property values are much lower and therefore what you need to do is move 
all of the homeless yes. people <laughs> move the homeless people to a rural area have like large you have like Mars. large well he was he, he's, <laughs> he's literally proposing like these like purpose-built large homeless shelters and saying that rural towns could benefit Camps, from this will. like work <laughs> exactly <laughs> and, and he's he's literally proposing like can really concentrate concentra- the people in these, in these camps you know <laughs> he's proposing concentration camps for homeless people but he's like he's like it might li- it might have bad optics but it is clearly the most like uh, efficient and ethical solution to the problem and it's like you're a fucking psycho <laughs> <laughs> like that's evil um but the logic of right of yeah, capitalism, yeah, yeah. like that's where it leads sure. and it's not that it just isn't that crazy and so even though the film like does go relatively crazy the logic that underlies what happens is not very far removed from yeah that's exactly society. it like yeah. all the issues that face him about like selling out and like your personal commitment your financial gains and stuff are all very relatable even if the world itself is a little zany yeah yeah um so yeah it just yeah just but it really puts its finger on things does a great job and it's a good film second funniest movie after the house that jack built i've seen this year <laughs> when zach Raff heard something that changed his life what he listened to when john cusack made a mixtape for his future wife what did she listen to and when Michael Madsen cut a guy's ear off, what was he dancing to? And when Tim Robbins showed Shawshank that he had enough, which record did he choose? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's been a historically long recording, so there will be no extra little bit. Now, just a grumpy sign-off. Join us for our Christmas special. Join us for our Christmas special. Next week, we'll be reviewing Aquaman? Uh, yeah, maybe. Yeah. And our producer's returning. Katie Rogers. She's back from Sweden, from launching us in Sweden. She's back from the war. The war in Sweden. The war to improve her podcast uh, company. And our, and our fortunes. She's launched us. We're big in Sweden now. She's going to be She's going to be telling us how big we are in Sweden, giving us all the figures on this, how what a proportion of the Swedish population listens every week to film chat. We'll give our top 10 of the year. Yes. I, I might go see that Spider-Man movie. I want to see that. Sp- Into the Spider-Verse. Yeah. I want to see that. So, could do that. Could do that. All right. All it's right. going to be good. Don't miss it. Do not miss it for the world. See you then. Merry Christmas. You have meddled with the primal forces of nature, Mr. Beale, and I won't have it. Is that clear? You think you merely stopped a business deal? That is not the case. The Arabs have taken billions of dollars out of this country, and now they must put it back. It is ebb and flow, tidal gravity. It is ecological balance. You are an old man who thinks in terms of nations and peoples. There are no nations. There are no peoples. There are no Russians. There are no Arabs. There are no third worlds. There is no West. There is only one holistic system of systems. One vast and immense interwoven, interacting, multivariate, multinational dominion of dollars. Petrodollars, electrodollars, multidollars, Reichmarks, rims, rubles, pounds, and shekels. It is the international system of currency which determines the totality of life on this planet.
That is the natural order of things today. That is the atomic and subatomic and galactic structure of things today. And you have meddled with the primal forces of nature. And you will atone. Am I getting through to you, Mr. Beale? Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.